it's me kira <laughs> welcome to the astrology show um it is currently saturday november 7th um a historical day <laughs> uh 1 pacific 1 p.m pacific time um yeah wow what a day what a day <laughs> today we we found out um collectively that Joe Biden has secured the nomination or am I saying that right? Joe Biden is basically <laughs> won the, the election. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts around that. I'm just really relieved. I'm, I'm relieved for the country. I'm relieved for the people who have been, you know, stress out of their minds and just holding their breaths. And yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking a deep breath. I am, you know, just trying to enjoy this day as much as possible. It rained here on the West coast, which was so welcomed. Um, it was only for about five minutes here (laughs) where I'm at in LA, but it was still beautiful. And yeah, it's just been, it's been a good day so far, so I'm going to keep riding this wave. Um, okay, so I have an episode for you all about fixed stars um, and parents, and this is with Amaya Rourke and Oscar Diaz, and um, oh gosh, it is jam-packed full of information, <laughs> and it might be helpful. Well, actually, yeah, we didn't we didn't really do any visuals, so I was gonna say it might be helpful to to watch the the YouTube version, but we didn't do any sh- screen sharing anyway. But um, regardless, it's a lot. I'm just gonna warn you ahead of time. There's a lot of information, and it's stuff that's not really, um, you know, mainstream astrology because so, we're talking about the stars. We're talking about the backdrop to, um, you know. to the entire sky (laughs) so there's a lot of um yeah there's a lot in here that you know frankly I don't know much about either and so we're learning together here um so yeah just wanted to put that out there um I know that the astrology podcast Chris Brennan's show is going to be doing an episode on fixed stars at some point in the future too so that's going to be a really nice compliment to this episode Um, where we kind of got into, we, we really, we definitely covered a lot of the basics and then started to talk a little bit more about star lore and particular stars. Um, Amaya and Oscar are so, so smart and you'll hear that they're like extremely intelligent. Um, and yeah, I mean, I learned a ton. I feel like you guys are going to learn a lot too. So this is a really good introduction into fixed stars. And I hope there's going to be some of you out there that just kind of get hooked from this and want to do some more studying and research of your own. Um, so yeah, we we talk about a couple of resources, but I'm going to, they both sent me like their preferred list of resources, but I'm going to drop those below in the show notes. Um, but yeah, sit back and get comfortable, um, and listen to this episode. I don't really have any show notes for you besides like, fuck yeah, um, Trump lost. (laughs) And, um, what other show notes do I have? Oh, I, I, I will say this one thing. Um, we are hosting 
our second November webinar for Fresh Voices on Saturday, November 21st. Um, Michael Bryan is going to be speaking on Uranian astrology. So uh, yeah, another opportunity to have your mind blown by a bunch of cool information. Um, Michael is like extremely intelligent, so charming, such a good Um, such a great speaker. And so if you're interested in learning about Uranian astrology, definitely check us out, freshvoicesinastrology.com, and you can register there. It's $25. You get the, you know, you get to attend live and see, get the recording. If you can't attend live, you get the recording like that same day. So um, yeah, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Um, Yes. Okay. So that's really the only show notes I have for you. I'm excited to share this episode with you. Enjoy. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Amaya. How's it going? Hi, everyone. Hi. Excited to be here. Super excited. Yeah, I'm. I'm really pumped for this episode. Um, so. It is currently Monday, November 2nd. Um, it's 10.08 a.m. here in Los Angeles. We, we're all over the world, though. So I'm going to have the two of you um, introduce yourselves. Um, and yeah, say your SMR, Sun, Moon, Rising, if you're comfortable with that. Um, tell us a little bit about your practice. And, um, and yeah, we'll start, we'll start with that. So Amaya, why don't you start? Sure. So I'm Amaya Rourke. I am located in Ireland. It's actually 6.08 over here in the evening. And um, gosh, I don't even know where to start with my practice really, but my sun moon rising is Aquarius Cancer Scorpio. And um, I think for Oscar and I, knowing what your heliacal rising stars are, are important (laughs) too. Um, So I believe that one of mine is uh, Acumens and the other one is Mm -hmm. Fosses. (laughs) <laughs> so mm. some fierce ass stars and then algal everywhere so <laughs> um <laughs> as far as how i got started in fixed stars um it, it was kind of interesting i started reading through some of these ancient texts when i was starting to relearn traditional astrology and they would make these kind of sideways comments about fixed stars and that got me way more interested because i was like you know knowing a little bit about history it didn't start with planets. They thought the planets were stars. And that's what kind of led me down this road. Um, also, I really love that during the whole year, I can go out and there's something new to look at in the sky. And you don't get that necessarily with just using the seven classical planets. You know, it's the same planets in different places. Um, so it was really satisfying to be able to take that to a different level where I could actually walk outside and see the astrology year round. And um, I start off with Brady's books and then got more books because I'm a book addict. And then I realized that I wasn't quite understanding it. And I'm sure that most people who learn the fixed star stuff probably experience the same thing. So I went and got Brady's lectures and here we are today. I use them uh, in my practice, mostly for natal readings. Awesome. And yes, I had a lovely reading with you and learned a lot about my parents. So um, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. It was really fun. <laughs> um, and Oscar, how about you? Yeah, um, my name is uh, Oscar Moises Diaz. I'm a practicing astrologer full time now. Um, I, you know, 
I'm located in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. Um, but, you know, I have really deep ties to Boston and also, uh, you know, Queens, New York. So I want to rep all three. Uh, and yeah, and I, I was born in El Salvador in um, Central America. And yeah, um, my practice, um, you know, I do natal readings. I, I also do like, you know, parans uh, as like a second tier reading. Um, I do studio visits where, like, we combine astrology and, um, you know, someone's creative practice, and we really try to, like, build a session around that. And, um, yeah, I work a lot with, like, artists, poets, filmmakers. So there's, like, um, something really artistic about, like, how I approach astrology and in the, in the sessions. And, yeah, I don't know. Um, my sun, moon, that's, rising. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Capricorn sun, Aquarius rising, uh, Taurus moon. And then, yeah, you know, it's a fixed star episode. So, you know, I, I it's, yeah, I totally agree. We have to add in the heliacals. Um, my heliacal rising star is Oculeus. Uh, it's a stinger twin star in the Scorpio constellation. And then my heliacal setting star is Capella. So, yeah, that's awesome. the vibe. Yeah. So you have Aculeus and I have Acumen, and they mm-hmm. go together. How interesting. Yeah, yeah I, it, you know, I, once we kind of get further in the, in, in the episode, I have a really cool story about um, my family lineage and the Scorpio constellation and our hometown. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I, I'm I mean, excited. I'm excited, yeah. That's one of the things that I've recently been getting into is more of like the Central South American side of the fixed stars because they have their own cosmology, but it's interesting how it maps over And I always find it fascinating that they came up with the same method as what the Egyptians did. So it's it's a rabbit hole that keeps going around the world, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I believe my heliacal rising is Spica. Um, I don't really know about any of the other other ones, which is sad (laughs) because I did get a reading from you. I got a reading from Irina recently, and they told me a bunch about fixed stars too, and I like... It's so, so it's a lot. It's a it's lot. A lot. Yeah. And <laughs> I guess I want to like um, start out by letting people know um, I don't know much of anything <laughs> about fixed stars. And so this is like really informative for me, as I'm sure a lot of um, listeners are going to be learning a lot as I'm learning a lot. So just so you know, this is like a topic I have no sense of expert in whatsoever. Um, and I believe that Chris Brennan is going to be doing a fixed star episode on his podcast, the astrology podcast. So I think that's going to be really cool to kind of have both of our episodes out there. Um, And yeah, like multiple different perspectives on fixed stars. It makes me think like, I wonder what Twitter is going to be like after both of these episodes are out and everyone's going to be talking about their fixed stars. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting. Um, I'm currently wearing some fixed star materia, some Aldebaran and a little Regulus, um, because, you know, why not? <laughs> fixed star episode. Um, but yeah, before we get started, let's talk a little bit. I mean, I don't think we, we all don't really know each other that well, right? So I, um, I just met you today, Oscar, <laughs> um, over Zoom uh, before we started this. Um, but I've known of you through Twitter. Um, and that's how, you know, I f- found out that you were into fixed stars and parents. And then Amaya, same with you. We have never met in person, but um, we know each other through Twitter, right? And I think at the beginning of quarantine, it was when a lot of astrologers were getting together to just like 
nerd out over astrology on Zoom. And I think that's where I met you for the first time. Yeah, if I remember right. I think I, I like demanded that Gabe open up a room because he had told me we we're going to have one and then he was going to not do it. And I was like, <laughs> I did not get dolled up for you to not open this room. Um, so, and then you, you showed up and you'd been in a Zoom party. And so you were just vibing. <laughs> That's me. I'm, I'm always, I'm always talking to astrologers when, in some way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, so happy to you know, have met both of you and to have you both here. And I, I don't think you two know each other, right? We know each other from Twitter. Um, okay. Yeah, I think they're, you know, the fixed starter thing kind of blew up in the last couple of months. And so that's when, I, you know, I, I think like I posted some stuff and then some people reblogged it. And then I started to find like the people on Twitter who were actively talking about it and who it was part of their practice. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, because like you do all the Brady stuff and then, I mean, just the nature of fixed star work, it's just, you know, I, I think about, like, if you were to go back, like, 2,000 years and tell an astrologer, like, you know, in 2020, people really see fixed stars as, like, esoterica or just kind of, like, this extra stuff. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and, and so sometimes it's kind of lonely, you know, if someone says Parans, I'm going to be like, oh, you know? And so <laughs> I just followed a bunch of people and, like... Yeah, just, you know, it, it's nice to be in conversation in the Twitter sphere. And I've, like, learned a lot. And, like, um, you know, the stars will teach me through the people, right? And so as astrologers, we know that, like, we learn, we get better by being in conversation, whether that's, like, amongst each other or even just, like, through a client-astrologer relationship. Like, and that it, that's where I feel like I learn most about the stars are in consultations by people, like, living and breathing these um starlights inside them and so yeah yeah really appreciated um following amaya's work online mm -hmm. well i'm really honored because i feel like oscar between the two of us you're much more technically adept um i take a little bit of a different perspective being uh primarily an animist and um i guess for lack of a better word witchy um i'm in constant conversation with the stars i do astrological magic i make my own materia in fact, I was just going to say I'm wearing some Regulus and Alcade right now. And um, it's interesting because I think that it'll be a good conversation because we've never actually spoken other than some retweets and some comments here and there. So it's kind of, it's fun because literally um, I don't know one else who does parents. No one. <laughs> so it's nice to have someone you can have an actual conversation with. Totally. Yeah. Yay. And I'm going to be the one who's like the noob asking a ton of questions <laughs> that's good though because you know what we'll think that something is common sense and it mm -hmm. probably isn't <laughs> <laughs> so let's um let's start out by just defining some of these terms like sure. what are fixed stars what are parents yeah and whoever wants to whoever has thoughts about that can, can start off um do you want to talk about fi what fixed stars are and i'll do the parans or something or yeah that sounds good so fixed stars are essentially uh they're non-moving objects in the sky from our perspective uh mostly because they're so damn far away that if they are moving it's not going to catch up to us for a very long time we have this idea that they're rising and setting because of the earth moving not because the stars are literally moving and the way that they were delineated was because what they called wandering stars were the planets they were actually moving um and that's where we get this backdrop of these stars are fixed, these stars are not. And for a long time, they didn't realize they were planets. They were just wandering stars. 
So that's what we define fixed stars are, are. They don't wander like the planets and the only movement they have is really because the earth is moving. So that's basically like the constellations the, or the fixed stars, correct? Right. So the constellations are made up of individual stars, um, groups of them. And they're different in every country that you encounter them. Um, though some seem to be consistent across multiple cultures, which is really cool. That's awesome. Cool. And then, yeah, p- is it parents or parents or is it? I feel like it's just, you know, especially <laughs> when it comes or? to like American English, like we got so many different accents. I, I know sometimes I sound like a Bostonian, a New Yorker or like a Charlottean. So I think it's just, you know, parents, parents, like whatever feels natural. You know, uh, it, you know, language is great because language is living and, and language would die if it wasn't constantly morphing and changing. So I think whatever feels comfortable for people, they should just say, you know. Rocket. Such a such a Mercury and Sag yeah. answer. My Mercury and Sag really appreciates that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Jupiter. yeah, why don't you? Um, so yeah, define uh, parents, parents for yeah, us. Yeah, so so parents are just kind of like you know we kind of have to check our birth charts at the door for a second and like you know it's it's really simple. It's it's very it's visual astrology. So it's really just like you go outside and you notice a star like um, Alresha. And you notice, like, Alresha is setting at the same time as Saturn is culminating. And so the, that's it. You've noticed a Paran. Um, you know, Parans have orbs of, like, two civil minutes. Um, you know, orbs for Parans on the angles are, like, four minutes. It's like, we'll talk about that later. But, like, yeah, put simply, like, a Paran is a simultaneous rising, crossing, setting of the meridian below or above of the stars and planets. So it's it's really just about like watching the sky in motion and like the different relationships that the stars um, are having. And it's, it's you know, it's like kind of like, um, yeah, a very simple observation of the sky, earth, planet relations. Um, and it's affected by like the observer's latitude. I would say it's kind of like a angular parallel is the way that I put it. It looks like it's in an angle, so it's either at 90 or 180 degrees. Um, which is hard for us to conceive of because it's a three-dimensional space rather than a two-dimensional flat chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we do it like, um, can we just, can we try to picture it like, you know, we're standing out in the middle of the desert, let's say, um, and we look up and we see Saturn because right now we can see both Saturn and Jupiter at night. Um, so let's say we see Saturn up there in the sky Um, and that's what you mean when you say culminating, you mean like, it's kind of, it's at the highest point before it starts to set towards the West. That's what you mean, right? Yeah. Like, um, like uh, on its pivot points. Uh, so, so yeah, like, like rising culmination, like upper, you know, upper and lower culmination and then like setting. So yeah, like descending, you know, like. Right. So basically angular in a way, right? Yeah. Like medieval, you know, Dr. Brady, who was my teacher, is like a hardcore, like medieval astrologer too. So it's kind of, Mm -hmm. we do learn about like, you know, thinking of that as like the cross of matter, like I guess in like medieval astrology kind of language. Very Mm -hmm. much so. So let's say we see Saturn, Saturn culminating and high up in the sky and then we look out on the west at the western horizon we see a a, a fixed star any of them i don't know (laughs) we see a star that right there is apparent is what you're saying because there's like the way i mean thinking about it astrologically i know you know it's all astrological but thinking about it in terms that um i think more astrology people that don't know fixed stars might know it's like 
we have Saturn close to the midheaven. We have the fixed star close to the descendant, right? And that right there would be apparent because they're, they're, yeah, they're squaring each other. Yes. But it's a little bit different. And I think this is really important to note. The Egyptians did not stick to the ecliptic. Um, they did believe in the heliacal rise and setting, um, which is about it being in the east or the west uh, along the sun's pathway. But otherwise, they were looking at it like a giant umbrella. And that's why if you're a traditional astrologer, even a modern astrologer who's never used fixed stars, it can be very disorienting when you first start getting into this because you could have a star that's culminating, but it's not technically at a midheaven as it would be defined on a normal chart. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where it can be, again, it's, it's completely different. And I think it's very important to make that distinction. It is not the same as our kind of, I feel like flattened charts that come from, and I love traditional mm -hmm. astrology. Mm -hmm. I am a traditional astrologer, but it is a flattened sky. It's like this narrow band, yeah. that's the ecliptic, but there's so much more. And that's what the Egyptians were looking at was this umbrella. And um, Oscar did a great job of explaining it because he's trying not to get too defined on what is the culmination point because it's not a mm -hmm. stuck mm -hmm. on a chart kind of point. Um, yeah. And you know, the, there's different, you know, we collect the natal batches of stars, at, you know, from like a 24 period from sunrise to sunrise. And that's kind of like, um, you know, the, the uh, Egyptian Roman method. And then like, there's also another method where, you know, uh, the kind of like Babylonian way of like making the marking points like the sunset. But, you know, just through Brady's work, we kind of adopt the Egyptian sunrise to sunrise method. So that's kind of like, you know, yeah, that's totally like, not like birth chart thinking of like, you know, in the wheel, we're, we're really like out, like w being watchers of the sky to collect the parans around a birth, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's the time of this joining between planet and star. And, and so it might, might happen later in the day of your birth, but you're like born into like that effect of like that time period when that like earth planet sky relationship was happening. So it's it's kind of um, cool. And yeah, you kind of have to kind of um, just like shift your thinking a little bit uh, around like the sky. And, and mm -hmm. you know, what I found so exciting about fixed star work was that like, yeah, I can um, have a relationship with the sky that's like, you know, past the ecliptic, which is exciting. Especially since there's mm -hmm. so much more of the sky to look at. Mm -hmm. There's and so there's much, so many stars yeah. that, you know, if you're just going off the ecliptic, you're not going... Plus, the, even the stars that we project onto the ecliptic are not on the ecliptic. And I think that's really important mm -hmm. is what you're doing with traditional astrology when we look at conjunctions, is we're projecting a star back onto the ecliptic along... Uh, it's, it's, it's not the longitudinal lines, the latitudinal lines, if I remember right. But we're projecting it back on. And that means that we're not actually showing the true position of the star. Um, we are projecting it onto mm -hmm. a zodiac so that it's easier for us to conceive of. Um, it, and I think that both methods are valid. I've seen it work in both methods. But it's important to know, like, if you're looking for that sky relationship where you can look up into the stars and see what's in the sky, you're not going to find, say, Vega in Capricorn. That's mm -hmm. not where it exists. But that's where it exists when we project it onto the ecliptic. And um, that's what makes it exciting is that we actually open up a huge door. In fact, I, I have my books next to me because I thought you might want suggestions for readers. And yeah, like definitely. this two volume monster set, which is expensive, but totally worth it. Oh, 1600 pages. Mm. Hey, do you have this yet, Oscar? 
I don't. Is this a book from Ukraine? No, this is Diana Rosenberg's work. Oh yeah, she's um uh she's kind of one of actually one of Brady's only contemporaries. Um they really, kind of were yeah. and they're they've been in conversation for, you know, over the years and they gr- disagree on certain things, but like yeah, both of them have really been in conversation for, throughout the decades of like really like fleshing out the stars and you know kind of like bringing them back. Um yeah, I've, oh my god, I didn't know those texts exist. Yeah, you ought to get it now. It's on eBay, you know, she died. She had cancer and she passed away. Rest mm. in peace, Diana. Um, but this was her, like, this is her swan song. This was her final work. Um, her family kept the self-published books, and they sell them on eBay. And, um, yeah, they're almost out. There's oh, only, I'm gonna order you gotta do that now, because there's only, like, 25 copies left. And you get both volumes. <laughs> but this right here is yeah. phenomenal, because what she does is she arranges it both by tropical and sidereal, so you can use it either way. And she goes through, and not only does she detail so many stars but then she gives you a billion both mundane and natal examples i mean like it's it's a giant case book so you can literally flip to like taurus look at all the stars that are close to that constellation or projected onto that constellation and then see a billion different examples of how that might play out in a native's life which i found very valuable because as someone who's got some pretty negative stars in my parents um i needed some outside perspective Yes. I love that. So let's, I just want to, um, I, I'm, I'm trying my best to like, uh, do this so that people listening, cause it's such a visual, <laughs> it's such a visual art form. It really is. So, um, to try to paint a picture for folks. So when we're talking about like the ecliptic, for instance, um, what we mean is the path that the sun takes through the sky and that path is is um is where all the planets take basically <laughs> and and basically what i'm trying to say is that behind kind of like behind that path of of the sun and all the planets um is the zodiac belt and that's a that's a a sequence of 12 different constellations um that we know of like the aries constellation and the taurus constellation um so that's the zodiac belt but that's just like a very narrow band of sky that we're looking at that the planets that the planets um, move through. But that's obviously not where that's not the totality of the stars in the sky. There's stars all over um, and outside of that band that the planets travel through. So when um, when Oscar and Amaya are saying like that stars are projected onto the ecliptic, um, what that means is that there's there's this like way of basically looking at a star that's not within that band um, and sort of like drawing a line to like the closest place it would be on that on that band that zodiac belt band <laughs> is, is that does that make sense yeah. did I explain that kind of yeah okay? and you know um, if we want to get like into some of the historical texts. Um, there's an astrologer, we don't know their name, but uh, they go by Anonymous of 379. And they kind of talk about, like, you know, they wrote about stars and parans, and, like, they kind of suggest that, like, you could, it might only, you know, this is their words, like, it may only be acceptable to collapse stars onto the ecliptic if they were located close to it, but one should work with the parans for all other stars. So, I mean, there were all, these conversations were like conversations that they were having like thousands of years ago of like, you know, what, what to kind of do, um, 
but yeah it, it is it is kind of like a narrow strip um and and there's so much outside of it and mm-hmm. i think it's important to note like even the zodiac that we have the egyptians had already kind of preemptively discovered what um basically precession is and precession is the earth's tilt changing over time so every 72 years our it looks like everything is rising one degree later than it is because the earth's tilt is constantly wobbling and because of that um, what the egyptians had done and this is uh, fascinating to me because i made this connection in my own practice because of my astrological magic and stuff is um they had to constantly change their decans list. They created a calendar called the, the decans or the decans, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And um, we have so many different decans lists. Um, I have, you know, uh, Austin Kopic's book, 36 Faces. And that was the nice connector to go in with the fixed star practice I already had because he talks about how it was actually part of the tradition to constantly be updating this because they wanted to make sure they knew the exact time because it was actually part of their religion. Uh, they believed that gods were basically attached to the stars that would heliacally rise and set and that the gods would walk amongst us. And so um, that was very important to them. They felt that if you had like a circumpolar star, they did not care about you. And so when a god would walk amongst us from a star that had touched the horizon, that was a time to pray and propitiate to that god um, because it would be more willing to hear you out. It had compassion because it could feel the plight. Actually, they said that he wounded his heel when he touched the earth. And we've actually got a star associated with that. Um, so it's very important to note that they had already discovered precession. Then the Greeks come in, they kind of borrowed the concept of a 12 part zodiac from the Babylonians. And they saw what the Egyptians were doing and they wanted to figure out how to incorporate it in. And so their excuse for making a fixed zodiac, because it's really important to know the constellations are not each a 30 degree you know, space in time. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. all different sizes. Like Cancer is tiny. It's only like five degrees. And then Libra is huge. And Virgo is huge. Yeah, yeah, they're huge. You've got huge constellations. You have small constellations. It was conceptual from the very beginning because they knew that precession would change these guys and they wanted to fix it to something that was more dependable. To the Greeks, things that were predictable and... Um, and symmetrical, they were holy. It was so important to them to have that. That's why they created the ecliptic. It's 360 perfect degrees because a circle represented unity. And then they divided everything based off of the equinoxes and solstices into 30 degree little pieces of pie. And at the time, roughly speaking, certain constellations lined up at the beginning of those signs. It has changed vastly. It no longer is like that. Um, That's where we get this huge schism between the tropical and sidereal zodiac. Um, but the Greeks did not form it based off of the stars. They already had anticipated and knew that the Zodiac was going to change if they were to attach it to the stars. So what they said to excuse this, they thought that there was different levels of divinity and unity was number one. It's it permeates everything. It's kind of like the presence of life itself. We come from it. We return to it kind of thing. Then they had the gods. Then they had the fixed stars. And what they said is that the fixed stars lent their images to the Zodiac. And this was to imply that the fixed stars were making talismanic houses for the way less divine planets that were erratic and acted more human-like. And in this way, you could say that you, your soul, passes from unity down through these spheres and you're a little piece of talismanic art from the gods. And you're gonna vibe with certain stars better and you're gonna vibe with certain planets better. We all have it, right? There's a certain planet that none of us are really into. and It's different for each of us. Like I have a hard time with Mars. 
Um, even though I have a night chart and Mars rules my ascendant and it's related to the stars that are in my parents, right? Um, because it's, it's very difficult for me, but I really vibe with Saturn and I have a very Saturnian chart. I have tons of stuff with Saturn. I have parents with Saturn all over the place and it has a lot to do with the talismanic makeup in my own chart. For you, Kira, you immediately were like, Spica. I want to know everything about Spica because you had that vibe already. It was there. And I know, Oscar, you talk about uh, especially specific stars related to certain celebrities that you've done lots of studies around. We all have a little bit of a vibe going. Um, but it is important to know, like, it's not entirely accurate. It doesn't really matter either. That's not what it was based off of. That wasn't the concept. And what they did is they decided to project them onto the ecliptic for their astrological magic because it stopped being commonplace. Parans used to be common. This Egyptian method used to be common. Ptolemy wrote an entire book on star phases. Some of it's gobbledygook because he assumed the knowledge that you would have as an astrologer. And it's, I'm really grateful to Brady because she brought it back and she was like, we got to figure out how this works because some of this doesn't make any sense. Um, but they did not make it a primary, especially in traditional astrology. They kind of like, we're like, ah, we're going to move further away from this because precession makes these things look less predictable. And they were very much about trying to see the mundane effects on the planet rather than, you know, I do believe that fixed stars are a lot more spiritual or esoteric in that sense. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just wanted to tell like a quick story about like, I mean, it's so beautifully put like the talismanic part of it and, and us being like little talismans. And, you know, um, I come from a village that doesn't have a Spanish name. It, it kept its original indigenous uh, Lenca name. Oh, that's amazing. And, yeah. And so uh, I've always wondered ab about the town name. And I finally asked like an elder and he's like, well, we don't know why, but it translates into River of Scorpions. And so then it, something just pinged inside of me. And so I, 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 it made me gather my family charts from my dad's side and finally ask, you know, my grandparents, like everybody. And then I put them into Starlight and <laughs> everyone had Scorpio constellation stars as heliacals or just like very prominently in the in the planet parents i mean it was all over for all of us like my antares heliacal rising grandma like my acumen heliacal rising like grandfather my dad had you know another antares me oculate like all of us and and all three were showing up and i was just like we're all born there like it, of course like there's some like um relation there to like the land and the place and, and like um oh, i love that yeah you, it, it was just such a funny translation moment where i was just like you know the spanish burned all those texts all those libraries i i have no idea what like you know indigenous people in that area would have like thought about stars but i do know that they built their settlements based on the stars you know very much like in an egyptian way and like to tie this into procession you know like they would really watch it you know if like a procession happened they would move the temple you know it was like if if like the temple to a certain deity was at like 40 of street nile street they would move it up to like 45th nile street you know kind of like because the star had you know had processed and so we we needed to like move the structure and we, yes and it has to do with light and and stuff like that and like it, it, it even it even bleeds into catholicism right like you know they would build like catholic churches so like the light would come in through the window and shine on the altar of the saint yes like that's totally part of the fixed star lineage as well you know and so yeah, I don't know. It's everywhere. It's 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 been spread all over. Sp 
spread all over and like the egyptian thing mm -hmm. the, the way that the greeks even got the idea of the fixed stars lending their images and you know this oscar is that the egyptians when they built their temples they mm -hmm. were to face a specific direction so that the starlight would hit the statue in mm -hmm. front of the temple or whatever structure right because mm -hmm. they believed mm -hmm. the god needed a home and so they're like here's your home mr god um, and they would make sure that they also did the same thing that your indigenous ancestors did. If things changed, they picked up and moved their entire structures to make sure it was as accurate as humanly possible. And it's very interesting because uh, like it's about 500 years before the Egyptian empire really fell. There was a prophet that rolled through and said, when they stop honoring the old gods correctly, that's when this empire will fall. And what happened was they started moving away from those fixed stars. They stopped moving their structures and sure enough, it fell and so it is a it's kind of a remarkable thing to think about they were basically what we consider to be talismanic magic in the astrological tradition started with the egyptians but it wasn't just the egyptians doing it you also see this happening in like northern european countries with their standing stones you see this happening down especially south america i'm starting to get into it my best friend she's actually um peruvian and she is starting to really get into like the incans and stuff there's some great books out there on it and she sends me stuff all the time related to like the Pleiades were huge to the Incans. And, um, you know, it's it's found around the world. And that's what I find fascinating. The Chinese were doing it. Um, I'm sure at some point, whenever we stop having an embargo between us and Russia, you know, Americans and Russia will eventually get texts about their esotericism too, because they're so far north, you know. And it's going to be fascinating. Uh, also, like Australia, like... Some of the oldest monuments that we have uh, to, to the sky are to the stars, you know. Planets came way much later, but if you go to Australia, like, some of the oldest, like, um, stone kind of, like, uh, settlements that we'll, si we'll see are, are attuned to star locations. So, I mean, it, it's just, like, so, so old, you know. I love this, mm -hmm. yeah. So, earlier, um, Amaya, you were speaking... You didn't say you didn't say the term, but you were speaking about the the order of the cosmos or the what is it called the how, is it called the order? Um, I think it's just the spheres of divinity. Okay, yeah, I think that's what it was called. Yeah, and so let's talk about that a little bit. I just want to like give the context for folks. Um, so oh, I should I I'm like I have my my astrology books underneath my my microphone right now, <laughs> or else I would pull it out, but um talking about the order the order of the cosmos um, or the, the spheres of divinity do does, does either of you have that off the top of your head because I yeah I do I have it like memorized because I combine the traditional stuff with the parents but um, basically you had unity that was you could call it the outside sphere but really it's encompassing all and I think it's a better way to think of it because it wasn't like this separate place to them um, then you had the gods then you had the fixed stars then you had the zodiac, which they said the fixed stars lent their images to. Then you had the planets. Then you had the diamonds. Then you had the elements, and then you hit Earth. So you, as a little soul, were said to pass through all these things. And in Hellenistic astrology, at the very moment of your birth, it was like splat. Here's that timestamp of when you were born. But in like Egyptian parents, actually they they had a quite a much larger amount of time that they'd allow for different star phases to come and go because they didn't feel you gotten sold that quickly. And they felt it was very important to understand the different star phases because it would give you a map for the timeline of your life, um, which gets us into like the different phases represent different time periods and they get activated at different times. Some of them will get preemptively activated with like um, uh, 
just transits. Um, but a lot of them, it really does come down to like, I always separate it like youth, uh, prime, and then old age. And then I consider the ones down on the nadir to be hearthstone. They're kind of affecting you. I almost feel like they're ancestral in a sense. I often find that there's, if I can get someone's family's charts, there's a, a thread running through the hearthstone stars. Um, which I'm sure you've noticed as well, Oscar. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, and sometimes like in consultations, the kind of like little language that I have around it is like, you know, like, yeah, like in the sky, if it's, if the sky is a forest then kind of like the fixed stars are like the really old trees. And I remember reading about trees and kind of like reading about how like, you know, old trees in a forest will kind of like, you know, pass their nu nutrients down to the younger trees. And like, there's just like this beautiful relationship in a forest between like, trees and age and i was like you know if you have a fixed star shining behind a, a a planet they're kind of having that relationship of like you know the the star is like you know kind of gonna tap it on the shoulder and be like here you go um to whatever that theme is um yeah i mean that was just really well put and like yeah you know they're they're timing techniques of their own you know which now that we have this like revival of like hellenistic astrology is totally it makes so much sense you know we don't get our, our all of our stars like right away you know I, you know so the and you know the way that we separate them um has to do with like the star phases right the the, the rising parans are like you know the stars of youth like uh the culminating parans are like you know, when you start your first Saturn return, they kind of will start to light up. And then, like, the setting stars are, like, your second Saturn return. You'll get, like, a new batch. And, yeah, the Heartstone star is the foundation. It's like, it's like you know, like a sculptor, right? Like, you know, they've made uh, the object of out of clay, and it's, you know, to their liking. But it's like, you, once you put it into the fire, into the uh, the, the kiln, <laughs> is that the word, of the oven, you know, you, you, as a sculptor, you kind of have to let it go, and you don't know how that clay that you beautifully, meticulously molded, if it's going to crack, if it's going to come out a funky color or shape, but it's like, you know, you don't know, you have to wait, and so the heartstone stars for me, yeah, are, are definitely ancestral and kind of like finding family patterns, but they're also like, you know, the the over the the overwhelming themes of a life so they be kind of become like you know they're they're active right away but it's like maybe when you're 80 or something you'll look back on them and be like that's what came out of the oven in terms of them so they're really i mean stars are just so deep you know i i think it's definitely for me absolutely like a higher le level of like spirituality when i like talk about them work with them absolutely yeah you know um the way I put it for the Hearthstone stars is you may not ever be aware of them, but everybody else around you will. It's kind of like the stories that are told about you after you're dead, which sounds really like mortifying, I'm sure. But I think it's important to think like, what story are you developing throughout your life? You know, almost like, it's like writing a lifelong poem. Oscar's a poet, if I remember right. And like, there's a little poem that you're writing from the time you're born to the time you die, and you may not even be aware of it. It's kind of like, um, they've now been able to record that trees and plants can um, hear each other. They had an experiment back in like the 70s, and they had separated these plants away from each other. And when their roots would move, and we're talking infinitesimal movements, they're so tiny, they could hear it. And they would respond and try to get closer to one another from separate parts of, of the room. And that's kind of how I see our stories are kind of like, is like there's these little whispers that are happening throughout our life that other people may be more responsive to than we are ourselves. But I do find that once I point out a Hearthstone star to someone, they're like, oh my gosh, I totally see that. 
But if they were just to go about their day-to-day -day lives, they may never see it um, because it's never pointed out to them. They don't know that story is kind of developing and um, processing in their lives. And I love your, your use of the tree metaphor. I think it's beautiful, Oscar. Um, I might actually snag that. That's so good. <laughs> totally do, you know. <laughs> I'm here to sag mark and give like all the like imagery, <laughs> you know. So let's talk a little bit about how um, fixed stars and parents are used in the natal chart. You guys have already kind of gotten into it a little bit, but um, yeah, like how 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 do how do you even talk about them, like reading wise? I I guess for me, um, I I used to have this rule that now I'm just softening up because I think the stars are just so much part of my practice that like just even you know. I have two readings on my website, like a birth chart reading where I'm really interested in giving like a nice Hellenistic foundation uh, of a chart with someone and doing that lovingly together. And then like my second tier reading are the Parans. And it's just like, okay, come back and then we'll add the stars in. But now like more and more, like half a year into like really heavy work client wise, I'm just like, I, I feel weird just looking at a birth chart and not including them, especially because I know they're there and I'm just like, like we said, like, um, and, 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 you know, I use the sky map in tandem with the birth chart, right? So, like, I, and, and that makes it neater, you know? It's, like, kind of when you put all these objects in a chart, like, <laughs> it can, it can, like, really, like, pile up and, like, then the, the degrees, you, like, don't know. So, it's, like, we don't have to do that either, you know? It's, like, I can have my sky map on the left uh, and the birth chart on the right, and that's how Starlight software works. And, and it's just, like, it's, it's so freeing. Too yeah it's, it's beautiful like it's so much more interesting than just here's your flat chart <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and we get to really roam around you know we get to roam around the entire sky and and so yeah you know then it just becomes a conversation you know i think we live in a multi-mapping reality and i think we're not the f only ones to know that because of the internet and things like that but like the ancients knew that you know and so it's just it's it's just it's just part of the conversation that felt very natural to me, and so in client work, you know, depending on the people's uh, across from me's age, you know, meet them where they're at. You know, it's like I also do a Saturn return reading that's just about the Saturn return, and yes, we'll do timings, zodiacal releasing, like all that stuff. But then, you know, the culminating parans, you can as an astrologer give a Saturn return reading with all the usual meat and potatoes, and then. You know, let's look at the culminating parans because those are the uh, the prime stars that will start to light up around the Saturn return. So it's like that's a huge part of the narrative and the story and what you can expect. And if you can hand that to someone in a Saturn return consultation, like do it, you know. So there's all these ways that they kind of can come in and out, you know. Or, you know, I had a, a, a person yesterday who's like into a theater person i had no idea walking into the consultation and then i was like hey you have a venus peron to alcyon and you know alcyon specifically loves to be in peron to venus it makes someone a poetic soul like a love of theater religion um and, and ritual and they were like that's so funny i'm literally a shakespeare actor and that's such a specific thing to alcyone too like um that idea of like taking a tradition and being very like about that tradition and not really straying from it because Alcione can be a little dogmatic. So that's such a literal way for that to play out. Thank you for sharing that, Oscar. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like funny moments like that. And it's like, that's one thing that might be helpful for astrologers listening is like, 
give the full delineation, the full breath of like what the star is about in the text because you just never know. Like, you know, Vendemiatrix, the fixed star in a Virgo constellation, had someone with that with their, with their son and like they make wine. Like, you know, there's like all these agricultural themes, all the themes that the star have, like, don't be afraid to just throw them out there because you never know who you're sitting across from. And it, and, and I think the fixed stars are not necessarily interested in, like, ambiguity. Like, most times. They're kind of like, here we are. Um, and so, yeah, you got to give the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I have a separate fixed star reading. And like Oscar, the more that you do fixed star readings, like with the Parans, um, the more that you don't really want to separate them from your readings because they can be so informative. And I, I have a perfect example of that. I had a dear friend and client who came to me and they had told me they'd gotten several consultations, like traditional astrology consultations, some from some very big names, prominent people in the community. And this person is a, actually a published author several times over. And anytime someone would look at their normal Hellenistic chart, they'd be like, I don't know how you're a writer. Like it didn't seem apparent in the nativity until we opened up the Purans. And that is when it was like, oh my gosh, you have literally most of your Purans are either to Mercury or Jupiter throughout the entire session. And almost all of them were about creativity and writing and being prolific. And this person is a prolific writer in like every sense. Um, even their own esoteric stuff, they also do astrology came through screaming in their hearthstone stars, Mercury and apparent to Alcyone. Like you cannot get any more literal than that. And I think that it can offer a lot of clarity um, regarding people's like uh, occupations that you may not be able to get from your normal birth chart. And I'm talking, this person had, we're talking people that helped reconstruct Hellenistic astrology have given this person a reading and could not figure out how they were a writer, how they were successful. And so it was like very interesting to watch it unfold for her. And for her to be like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And like to give that person that affirmation, um, my own like technique for doing it. I mean, obviously outside of the technical stuff, I definitely am very big on like, let's make sure this is technically tight. Um, is I usually will sit with someone's chart for about a day with all their Purans. I usually meditate on the stars. I don't just look to the like Egyptian Greco-Roman stuff because often they had their own biases. And that's important to note, like, Again, having Algol everywhere in my own chart and like all there is is bad stuff about Algol. And I'm like, I don't think I'm a bad person, right? <laughs> so um, I also don't think I'm gonna die being beheaded or having a head injury. Like I've never had a head injury. I did watch someone get a head injury though when I was about 12 and my Jupiter is conjoined by the ecliptic, you know, um, it's conjoined Algol by like four minutes. So like that was a pretty literal way to watch that happen. But otherwise I've had other things happen related to it. And so it was important for me to go and look into a lot of other cultures and their star lore because it gave me a much more well-rounded uh, perspective. I also advise, I don't have it down here with me. Uh, there's two books that I think help philosophically with specifically like the Egyptian Greco-Roman stuff. One of them being Hamlet's Mill. It is prosy and winding and very difficult to read. Yes. Highly, highly recommend it. I just barely got the physical version of it. And another one. I love that book. I love it. It's so good. Blows my it, mind. It also was. It, it was really important for Dr. Brady's yes. uh, initial like research was Hamlet's Mill. Absolutely. So that, I mean, it's already part of like. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What's the other book? I think that you um, said too. And I think the other one. I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's like. Um, 
on myth and being i think is the name and i'll make sure to i'll send you some notes that you can put down in uh the, like the youtube comments kira but um it actually contextualizes the myths uh, first of all, spiritually for the, the Greeks and the Romans so that you can understand what was being put into these myths. But also there's some historical information. For example, a lot of these stars, like I was, I was good sad looking like the Nemean lion uh, constellation because it really was about, it wasn't Hercules just crushing the lion. It was about the Greeks invading different uh, African countries and crushing goddess cultures. And it was the same with Algol. I learned that it was actually a uh, allegory for the Greeks going in and crushing a very specific North African uh, culture and making them submit to Greek culture instead. And they were celebrating a fertility goddess that had snakes for hair. And it was not considered this like horrible being that was gonna like curse you for your life. It was considered to be life-giving and precious and very related to, and I love how Brady put it, Mother Earth. And that made so much more sense to me because when I figured out what my own belief systems were, and that was difficult, Jupiter conjoined algal is very difficult on a Hellenistic chart because it really makes you very aware of corruption quickly. It's like you have a, a magnifying glass for it. It can ruin your faith because you're constantly just seeing all the things people do that's bullshit, you know? And wow. yeah, like hardcore. <laughs> You're describing my ex. My ex and you have very similar charts, and he has it. He has it in the first house, and I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, and then mine's perfectly <laughs> so, like sextile my so moon. Spot on. Like perfectly mm. sextile that moon in the ninth house. So it really is like, do not BS me about spirituality. I will. I will come for your neck. Like that is my thing. It's my sacred cow. Do not take advantage of people. Do not take advantage of people with their spirituality. Don't do it. That is not okay. And when I found out, you know, that this was about um, much more about nature and being in sync with her cycles and that mother nature is not cute and cuddly. If you're an animist, you know this. Um, and a lot of people today just want to see the cute and cuddly side, but like, that's why we have natural disasters. Atolls are amazing, but they make horrific creatures. That's where evolution occurs in real time. Uh, volcanoes are the birthplace of life and they also will fuck you up like <laughs> just so like that is algal she is raw primal creative power but she's also very much about like are you honoring truly honoring at a deep level you know that power and where it, it can take us and if we're not she will definitely i always tell people if you start working magically with algal whatever hubris you have she is going to cut it out of you with a sharp knife she will make you really understand what it means to really truly believe what you believe and if you're in sync with those things or not. And that's scary for a lot of people. And if you approach it, like I see a lot of people, I'm in the Sphere and Sundry forum, and they're like, my neighbor's bothering me, should I use algal? And my, my initial reaction is almost always like, try it, mm -hmm. let's see what happens. <laughs> I don't, I don't think she's going to be down with that. She's not really into the pettiness, um, yeah. but let's say that you... Yeah. I was just going to say, let's like um, maybe define, define algal a little bit and talk about like, because I want to get into the stars, um, some individual oh, stars God. that we are right now with algal. <laughs> and algal is definitely one of the most infamous. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that. So algal is when projected onto, or is it projected onto the ecliptic or is it actually part of like that band of stars? I believe it's projected onto the ecliptic. I don't think it's actually there. Yeah. Okay, so it's at about 26 degrees Taurus. I'm sure you guys have know the minutes, maybe. I yeah, don't know. I, I feel like I do because everyone will, I, I, you know, being a fixed star person, every single email is like, 26 degrees Taurus, I'll go. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's just like that degree <laughs> thing that I'll never forget. And like, I mean, 
this is kind of maybe where there's um I don't know. I only work with parons. I don't use degrees. And the, and I okay. think, you know, yeah, I agree. You know, maybe some other people find that resonates. And I know that in astrological magic, it absolutely resonates. But personally, I think philosophically, I just prefer parons. So I, I, I sometimes have this thing where, like, I, I don't find algal in the parons. And so, but it's at that degree. And so, I, actually, I've never talked to anyone about this. So I would actually want to ask Amaya, like, what would you do in that cir- circumstance? Would you would you be like, yes, you have algal at 26 Taurus to this planet? Or if you didn't find it in the parons? Yeah, I try to explain, like, you know, in your Hellenistic chart. And I do explain, like, this is a two-dimensional chart. We are flattening. Yeah. I think it's important. Actually, Kara will tell you, the beginning of each session that I do... I spend about 15 minutes at the beginning explaining what parons are, the difference between a parents chart and a Hellenistic chart, why we use them together. So I like to use the uh, the normal chart, the normal like two-dimensional chart to help us understand where this is affecting the life because I think it does get pretty specific. Uh, so I kind of combine the two of them together. But I do explain like if they don't have a, a parons with it, I'll just be like, it's not a parons, but you maybe you have a planet that's conjoined or you might have your one of your important lots conjoined or your nodes conjoined. That I still think does develop in the life, right? Now, I just happen to be one of those weirdos that also has it throughout all of my parons. Like, they're hearthstone stars for me. They're activated in different phases of my life. Um, very, very prominent in my chart is algal and a bunch of like really negative stars. <laughs> um, negative in the sense of how they're usually talked about. Um, <laughs> right. So can we can we quickly like let's let's tell people why algal's considered so negatively and um because the way i the way i know of it i'm like oh that's like the 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 medusa star that's the one who like you know cut like when people research algal online they see like oh beheadings like you're gonna lose your head which you know (laughs) can can show up in ways of like actually like maybe losing your mind quote unquote um, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get beheaded. So yeah, let's let's talk about Algo and sort of like demystify um, that star a little bit. I think also it might be just in, uh, useful in a broader sense. It, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things Dr. Brady says right away in lecture is like, no stars in the sky are evil, you know? Mm. So we also have to like totally undo our kind of like, western kind of idea of like good and evil and like things like that you know even unpack start to unpack those things and like you know i see a lot of people every day and and you know it you can't just like you wouldn't like delineate like one planet and isolate it from the entire chart and say hey this dooms you right irresponsible Mm -hmm. you can't do that you wouldn't do that with stars and you know one intense star is not going to doom a nativity and neither is like a bunch of them you really have to look at the life in front of you like one of my favorite examples is um the filmmaker dario argento right he's he makes horror films you know he has alfard as like the helical rising he has all these like really intense like stars in the in the prawns and so i mean how's that working out right like he makes horror films like that's you know that's like the person in front of you that's how those stars are like living out and then you know you would tie it back to the the hellenistic chart and like yeah it's just like you have to do that you can't divorce the stars from the chart and you can't like just like isolate them it's like you have to look at the broader picture of the person right and all of their complexity because people are complex and i mean we know that but i think that's an important thing to know and i also think you know this is like my Vivian Robson kind of 
part. But like, there, there's also some of the sources online are kind of, you know, you got to know where people are getting their information mm-hmm. too. I think yeah. there's like, you know, the Vivian Robson book, you know, Austin Coppock's talked about it. Also, Brady's talked about it. It's just kind of like very poorly sourced or there's just like all these like holes in the work. And so, and also just like really unworkable. I actually bought the book because I was just like, what is this? And, you know, it, it'll make you... If it's your entrance to fix star work, it'll leave you thinking that every star in the sky is evil. That's how I feel when Googling about the stars, too. Like, I almost never find... Brady's book was the first, like, my first introduction to the stars not being, like, all doom and gloom and terrible. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's important, right? Like, the language that we use out in the world, I mean, like language is magic you know like comes from the throat Mm -hmm. it's like we're literally um if you can constitute in yourself in language then like that's a powerful thing and and if you work with language then you can possibly do things to other people like with language so i just think the words that we use are so important and i think like the robson book just leads people astray because it's it's just already into in in this you know giving these delineations where it's just like evil like i I feel like every single star in that book is like causes malfortune all the natural disasters and wars and like it seemed like there was an un un un, how do i even put it just there was such a focus on everything negative in the world i there's very rarely an example of something good happening she was very much a doom scrolling kind of astrologer (laughs) yeah so, so Algol, right? Like Medusa had like snake, snake hair. Like, oh, scary! We're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get beheaded, right? Um, but what? Yeah, I mean, you spoke to it really, really beautifully, Amaya. As like, well, let's let's go back to the myth. <laughs> yeah. Let's understand where this came from. So, it did get. Uh, it was it was an allegory for imperializing a country. Um, it, it specifically a North African kind of settlement and. They had been celebrating a uh, fertility goddess that had snakes for hair. And it was actually pretty typical. There was quite a few goddesses in that area that had snakes for hair or were involved with snakes. Like I think about the Mithras and Ariadne. Before she became Ariadne, we know in Greek myth, um, she had to do with bulls and snakes. And it's very interesting because both the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans kind of dismissed circumpolar stars as being supremely evil because they were all around fertility cults that they didn't agree with. They had much more, the Egyptians were less so, but it's all, it's a scale of misogyny, to be quite frank. So like, it gets more misogynistic the closer we get to more Roman rule, Mm -hmm. and it becomes less (laughs) as we get farther away from it. So- Surprise, um, surprise. It was very much a thing, Um, but yeah. Also, very quickly, like Dr. Brady also talks about like how some stars in the sky are associated with goddesses. Like, and sometimes those myths, uh, depending on where they, they're from, are like women in chains. And like, I, I think Brady wrote like even an article about like, you know, unchaining the, the women in the sky because like, and, and, and very much so talking about like how ingrained patriarchy and misogyny is. And sometimes in like these older texts that were having to face and like and you know now is the work too of like um amending and kind of talking back also and yeah just wanted to add that part too absolutely that's a really that's it's very important and that's why i look to other cultures specifically i've I've started really branching out and getting other myths um and getting deeper into why i think that's why that um on being and myth is so important because it went far beyond for example a lot of 
we see again, snakes used to be considered specifically uh, an object of wisdom or a being of wisdom. It was, it could be poison, but it could also be medicine. And that's something I always tell my clients whenever we see algal or alfared come up in the chart. I'm like, it can either be poison or medicine. I have done both. I am a very algolian kind of person and I have specifically words. It was interesting. I was thinking about this little side note here. Did you know that if we don't have a word for something, we literally can't see it. They've done experiments on this in uh, indigenous cultures. If they don't have a word for a color, they don't see the color. And I mean, literally, they won't be able to identify it. It's black and white to them. So yes, they are magic. They very much affect our consciousness and what we're able to see. So when we say things like, oh, you have algal in the chart and there's already meaning attached to it, it is going to terrify someone. And I always try to remind them, first of all, a lot of these delineations, they were not very pro-women. In fact, you'll find very few female constellations that are positive, like the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, we're also not very positive to the ancients unless you look at astrological magic. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here that was determined by the culture of that time. You have to look to other sources. What helped me with this was seeing Brady's talking about, you know, mother nature in particular, really connected, figuring out that I was an animist, not, not any particular, uh, we could say tradition or practice, but that I thought the world was alive and we're in relation with it at all times, whether we're talking to a tree, an animal or things that are unseen. And that made sense to me because I've always had a hard time with fitting into a box with my faith. And that would be Jupiter in a conjunction with Algol, but also having it as a hearthstone star. Um, Algol essentially is Medusa. Um, the myth goes that, and there's a few different versions as it goes with all Greek myths, but essentially Neptune um, wanted to have sex with Athena. Athena kept spurning him. So he went into her temple and he raped Medusa, his, her most beautiful maiden and um, desecrated her uh, temple. Now this is where you can see that Athena was also a product of uh, that misogyny at that time. She was in with the guys. She doesn't punish Neptune or try to go against him. She punishes Medusa and don't, don't let anyone tell you it was a savior thing, it wasn't. Because there were other Gorgons that existed and they were immortal so they could live for the rest of their lives. She specifically made sure that Medusa was the only immortal Gorgon so that she could be killed. It was not about protecting Medusa. It was absolutely about Athena's rage. And in this sense, I believe that Algol is about um, having righteous anger over the loss of innocence, but innocence in a very broad spectrum, not just talking about literal virginity, not just talking about children, but I also think about, again, that conflation with mother nature. Right now, our planet is dying. And what we're seeing with all the stuff, especially I'm very, very interested to see what happens when Uranus gets to that 26 degree point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And eclipses, which start next yes. next year, we get an eclipse. November. In, in November 2021, <laughs> we have a... Yeah, it's the day after my birthday, so... Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> my son is exactly opposite Al Ghul. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I do think that it is about, you know, we have misused Mother Earth. And there is a real thing coming up from the depths in a sense. Gaia was forced by Aranos to hold monsters inside of herself. And it wasn't until Kronos came and freed them that they were allowed to actually exist. And there is a purpose for apex predators. There is a perfect purpose for things that scare us. I think it's interesting, you know, uh, I talked to children today. They're absolutely terrified of any insect. None of them are fascinated. They're all terrified. But when I was a kid, you know, I was running around like picking up stuff off the ground. And I was like, look at the cool beetle I found. And it was no big deal. And I think about how our perspective of nature has changed because we've created gilded cages for ourselves. 
And Algol is the primal essence of getting out of that cage, getting uh, actually in communion with nature directly or with the world around us directly. And it is about um, also freeing your own primal senses and um, instincts so that you know when it is time to be righteously angry. Now, if you approach Algol in the incorrect way, you will very much lose your head. I'm in a daily algal practice. I don't lose my head. I do get righteous anger. It does help my anger come forward better. I have Mars and Taurus. It doesn't want to come forward at all. And it's become a lot louder since I've started to work with algal, but that's not a bad thing. Anger is not bad inherently. It has a purpose. You know, I have algal to my Saturn in a Paran and my Saturn's in Aquarius in a day chart right in my first house. So I, I also have this um, star connection and I, yeah, I think it is about righteous anger, and it is a star about justice, you know? And I think, whew, I see, I mean, I when I have algal clients, you know, the specificities, right, to planet, planet, but there is kind of this, kind of like, just like you're built to be in, in like crisis situations and like really know what to do. It's like the mark of a crisis worker, someone who's gonna stand in the middle of the storm also and like, you know, be ready for it and like, in, in service to others, in service to like other people who are mar marginalized and like understanding power structures and like understanding when they're fucked up, you know, after, after as they often are and like not standing down, you know? I, and I think an alcohol person also embraces like all the colors in the crayon box of like emotion. You know, it's just like, I wouldn't want to be happy 24 seven. It's like, I understand that my rage is important. My um, sadness, all the shades of emotions that I feel I embrace wholeheartedly and and kind of, um, we, you know, we need them. And like, and you know, uh, to add to what Amaya saying, like, yeah, rage is important because rage is our body being like, this is unacceptable or like, this is dangerous. Or it's like, you know, a, a refusal of like these systems. Like I, I get enraged when I see the news, I get enraged when, and it's my body body telling me that something is wrong and that something must shift and if and if rage can be a constructive emotion like that to kind of push us into the new thing then yeah we, of course we need it you know yeah oh my god we need it don't we and i also think it's important the end of that myth is that then perseus is trying to recover his lost love he goes to athena asking for help and Athena says, go get me the head of Medusa. So she is asleep. She does not fight Perseus. This fictionalized version you see in TV and movies, she does not fight against Perseus actively. She's actually sleeping. He sneaks up on her, uses his mirrored shield so that if she wakes up, she'll see herself and she'll be turned to stone. And he cuts her head off. So this whole thing is Medusa is constantly a victim in every single one of these stances. And I do find people who have a very prominent algal in their chart, as well as like Acumen, Aculeus, and a few others, tend to have gone through some really tough shit. And that's why they tend to have that deep sense of, like for me, I grew up in a uh, culty religious kind of thing. And so I am very sensitive to it. And when I see it happening where someone is either utilizing their power within a spiritual community incorrectly, or they are taking advantage of people or they're grifters, it makes me intensely enraged because my parents were taken. Our, our entire childhood was flavored by this bullshit. And so I just don't want to see other people have that happen to them. Um, and I do find that, I, I think about how Joan of Arc had a serious parent with, um, you know, <laughs> Algol, and she needed to have a battle. In fact, when she stopped having to battle, it caused her issue. She needed to find something to do. Also, I find that Algol people tend to be outside of the binary. 
they don't tend to stick within the lines. You know, I don't talk a lot about my own sexuality, but I definitely don't consider myself straight. You know, I have two partners. I'm in a three person relationship for seven years. It's a serious one. And that's another thing that comes up a lot with people who have, you know, uh, the algal's parents or the conjunctions in their chart is they tend to kind of march to their own drumbeat and they do not care what other people think. Cause they're like, you know what? You live once. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make me happy. And I also battle to make myself happy. I want a better, more equitable world. I want to protect people against, uh, you know, the loss of their innocence. Um, I don't think that you should have to regret being naive about something. Naivety is beautiful. It means that you have not been touched yet. And in a sense of like, no one has ruined something for you. And if I could keep people from having that happen to them, I would, because I think that's valuable. Would having my son opposite Algol, like, would that be a sort of parent or like, I'm curious, I have, my son is at 2555 Scorpio. Um, and I'm curious cause I, I wasn't. I never, it never Let came up in a... actually pull up your parents. I don't think you had it in a parent. Yeah, because remember, we're, we're going from um, sunrise to sunrise. Right. And, and, and noticing, right, like visually out in the, in, the, in the plane and like noticing when uh, the stars and planets are meeting at a very mm-hmm. tight orb of, of on their pivot points, right? Uh, culminating, um, descending, uh, rising. Like those kind of points, so so it's 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 just so different, right? It's than than how aspects even work, right? Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, I figure it because I feel like it would have come up (laughs) in a reading before. Um, We talked about algal quite a bit, (laughs) which I'm really happy about because I feel like there there needs to be some you know major reclaiming around that star. Um, But I would love to talk about the royal stars because. those are the ones that I am most aware of. Um, and I think those are kind of like, you know, people get excited. I get excited when I see them in someone's chart. Um, so yeah, do you guys, does someone want to run through the, is it four? It's four, right? Yeah, the four royal stars. Mm-hmm. You have Regulus, Fomahalt, um, Antares, and Aldebaran. That's, and where are they like we're projecting onto the ecliptic? Um, Regulus is, yeah, Regulus is at one degree Virgo. Is it one? I thought it was zero. Is it, is it one at this point or is it zero? Actually, it's almost one. It's not quite okay. there yet. I, I just kind of keep an orb within the first degree. I'm trying to remember the rest of them because think Antares and Aldebaran are both at about, I think it's like 15 degrees on and they oppose one another in Gemini and Sagittarius. I thought they were, thought they were at like nine. <laughs> they might be at nine. I think they're, I, again, it's not the same as parents. Right, so right. Like, no, yeah. So I think they're at nine because I remember, um, the eclipse coming up November 30th is like very much on top of those. That's at like eight degrees, eight and some some change. So yeah, I think the... We can actually look it up. There's a little cheat that I like to use. Um, I put in fixed star degrees and um, astrology, obviously. And it gives me astrology king has a list. Yeah. And that's often what I do when I'm right before a consultation if I just want to take a quick preview. Mm-hmm. But let's take a look really quick here. I'm almost certain that you're right though. Yeah, it's at about nine nine degrees, 47 okay. minutes. So there's that. And then um, Fomahalt is at uh, five, six degrees uh, Pisces. Cool. So um, they were considered the points where the uh, equinoxes and solstices were occurring at the change of the seasons at one point. Okay. No longer. Yeah. That does not happen anymore because <laughs> of precession. But that's why especially the Persians attach so much importance to them. 
was because you know you had uh, Regulus rising when we had the summer solstice happening, mm. and then you would have Antares when we had uh, the uh, fall equinox, and then you would have Fomalhaut for the winter solstice, and then you'd have Aldebaran for spring. Um, it's no longer like that, but they're also extremely bright. And that was the thing that they really noticed is that these were very, very bright stars that were, um, heliacally rising before the sun. So, which we should probably define that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> A little late in the conversation, but we should do yeah. that. Um, anyone, Oscar, do you want to do that? Um, in terms of like brightness, I, I mean, I, I guess the thing that's popping into my head immediately is like, just through doing client work, I can actually at this point kind of echo what Brady, uh, Dr. Brady thinks of like, even dim stars have an impact. And, and you know, kind of like, if you were to approach fixed star work and only look at like a certain magnitude of like brightness, and then like not the other ones that are kind of more on the dim side, um, I feel like you would be losing a lot. I feel like, you know, the, the fixed stars, they're, they're there, they're there. You know, and so the way I've seen them play out in my consultations are, yeah, I haven't been really interested in, in kind of, um, uh, yeah, kind of um, separating them by that. But but of course, you know, if they're if they're brighter, they tend to mean things. I'm thinking about Sirius, right, the brightest star in in the sky, and um, you know, the Egyptians would like see Sirius and then know that the Nile would flood. So so yeah, they kind of have. Um, these sort of things associated to them. I don't know, Amaya, you're probably going to have better things to say about uh, No, brightness. that's not true. You have great things. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't I don't know. I, yeah, my I, mind's going black on the brightness thing, so I kind of need help. <laughs> well, with helical rising, it just means that it's rising on the eastern horizon oh, yes, before that. the mm -hmm. sun. Um, and then with setting, same thing's going on. It's setting before the sun. Mm -hmm. um, and it's visible. So that's important. Like the visibility, like with all ancient kind of astrologies, visibility was a big part of it. And that's why brightness used to matter so much. Now, they couldn't detect dim stars as easily as we can now with all of our telescopes and stuff, which is awesome for us because this is something I love about like astrological magic. They just stuck with what was easily available to them, which means that there's so much room for us to innovate today using those same techniques. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty exciting because we have so many more stars to work with. And that gives us a lot of different flavors and things. Um, as far as brightness and magnitude are concerned, I think that it was important to the ancients, mostly because it was more visible. Visibility was such a, a key part of both that, you know, Babylonian, Egyptian, Greco-Roman kind of uh, astrology. Even the Incans, um, like I said, my friend is learning and kind of sharing with me. They also were very big on how bright a star was. We got really technical exact about it in um, today's world because now we, can, we have like a magnitude scale to show like how bright it is. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm actually in the same line as Oscar. The thing that I always like to remember about the fixed stars, and this is, I think a very important point. We actually retroactively attempt to describe fixed stars utilizing planetary significations, but they are considered a higher form of divinity. And my thought on this is that it's easier for us to conceive of the planets. They are closer to us. We have a better, more direct relationship with them. And fixed stars are much more broad and it's much harder to understand something that I loved how you're talking about. There's multiplicity here. It makes me think of uh, Disney versus Studio Ghibli. Mm -hmm. Disney is very clear. It's like black and white. Someone's good. Someone's bad. There's, you know, a very clear story arc. But with Studio Ghibli, I always think about how like my favorite was Princess Mononoke and um, the villain in it, Lady Eboshi, is not pure evil. 
She wants to kill the forest god, so you're thinking, God, that's bad. But she then employs prostitutes and lepers in her colony and gives them jobs and dignity and power. So she's not just one purely evil person. And she's dimensional. And that's something I enjoy about those films. But it's also what I enjoy about stars. <laughs> stars are not like this clearly binary, this is good, this is bad. They were described in very stark terms. You have to remember that especially the Greco-Romans, they were very influenced by the philosophy of their time. And they are very much about like, accept your fate. So they would look for the worst case scenario mm. <laughs> so that if something better happened, they it's a happy surprise. Mm. But if something bad happens, you're prepared and you can meet it face on. The problem is in today's world, especially, <laughs> that can be really scary to hear like, oh, you might lose your head, mm -hmm. you know? Um, or in the case of like the Pleiades, you might go blind. Mm -hmm. What if the blindness isn't literal yeah. though? What if it's more like you become so stuck on something with Alcyone and so narrow and, and like dogmatic and tunnel visioned that you don't see the other things around you? It's not about literal blindness, right? So it's a very important distinction to make is like this idea of brightness, if it's likely rising or not, it was all about vision. And it was bigger than a binary, always bigger than a binary. I wanted to ask real quick, so, and I just want to clarify, so, Helically rising means the the star rising before the sun before the sunrise, so that you can actually see it. And then setting would be stars setting after the sun, correct? Or is it setting before the sun? The helical just means sunrise. So so, um, but 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 for the setting, like for helically set, is is that a thing? Hel that's the, that's setting? the star that was setting as the sun was rising. Oh, okay, okay, okay. sorry. Yeah. yeah, I totally mystified. No, it's okay, okay. it's no, okay. I, I'm glad we clarified that. Okay, so when the sun No, very important setting, clarification. <laughs> when the sun is setting, <laughs> a little what, bit of a big what one. Sun, what star is rising as the sun is setting? Mm -hmm. Got and, it. And maybe okay. we should maybe we should talk about because you know when I start my uh, consultations uh, with the star Paran session, I. Those are, that's where I lead in, are the helical rising and setting mm. pair. That's okay. kind of where I begin. Yeah, maybe we should open that up. And, you know, just to say uh, another thing about brightness, now that it's finally, <laughs> it clicked in my Sag brain, I just had to wait for the lightning to strike, <laughs> is, yeah, you know, there's also um, ways to know which parans are a little bit more, like, turned on, like, angularity. Like, you know, if you're a Hellenistic astrologer, you look for planets in the first, seventh, tenth. Mm -hmm. You know, just that's just to get your brain, but, like... Um, with stars, yeah, you know, if it's a Paran that's circumpolar, I'm going to pay attention to that star a little bit more. If if the star is in the phase where it's arising and lying hidden, I'm going to notice that. You know, there are different um, star phases. They're a little bit more intense than others. And so you'll kind of like feel them like more of a, in a like an intense way. So yeah, that that will lead me through the Paran list, you know, also cool. just noting well, let's, star uh... phase. Yeah, let's let's actually back up and define that a little bit for everyone. You know, we're we're not gonna be able to like do a master class on this, obviously. <laughs> but um, okay, so we now know <laughs> likely rising. It's before the sun. Likely setting. It's setting before the sun. Um, then we have um, these different star phases. Circumpolar just means that it never technically is rising or setting. It's just kind of what we consider to be rotating around the poles. Mm. Um, so for the Egyptians, these were gods that they called them the immortals, mm -hmm. the realm of the immortals. They just did not care about us because they never touched the earth. They never had that kind of empathic ability that a god who did touch the earth would. Um, 
And then you have uh, a rising line hidden. Technically the star is actually rising, but because of the Earth's tilt, it's just hovering below the horizon, which kind of freaked the ancients out because they were like, where is this star <laughs> supposed to be coming up right now? I love that. So they consider that to almost, yeah, it's like almost bringing in a hearthstone kind of feel so it intensifies, mm. right? Hearthstone stars are always affecting you throughout your entire life. And then, um, gosh, my brain just went blank. What is the other one, Oscar? Um, circumpolar, correct? No, we did circumpolar, uh, a rising line yeah. hidden. There is There's one more condition. One. Yeah, there is one more condition. I My brain literally <laughs> just went blank. Um, <laughs> We're experts here, really. Um, <laughs> I, I know, it's so much to keep in your brain. Curtailed. Curtailed passage. It's curtailed yes. passage. Curtail passage is when it's actually um, kind of just barely hovering above the horizon and it doesn't seem to be moving, mm. which also freaked them out because they're like, this is supposed to be culminating and it's mm. not. So that's also intense, right? Because it's kind of just sitting in this phase for a predetermined amount of time, which they figured out eventually. They figured out the math for it. But when it first emerged, it was very freaky to them. Um, it's kind of like eclipses freak the ancients yeah, out. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like the sun or the moon just disappeared and it got eaten, right? Well, for them, not having the stars rise predictably like that um, kind of freaked them out. And with circumpolar stars, for the Egyptians particularly, they just didn't want you to be celebrating the uh, the fertility gods of like the Babylonians, Sumerians, Mithraeans that were around them. So they were just like, not those ones. Mm. <laughs> those ones don't count. Um, so what they believed is that you have your heliacally rising star. That is like the theme for your life. I call it like the theme for your book, the book title. It gives you like an overall theme. Then you have your heliacal setting star. And that's a gift that this god that has traveled to the, the circumpolar region or the immortals has then brought back down to you. And it usually affects your vocation or your overall direction in life. Uh, if you lean into it, you tend to feel very satisfied with uh, what you're doing in life. If you don't, then you'll be pretty keenly aware. Um, rising star parents, um, those are stars that basically up until your Saturn return, they're activated. Some are much more activated than others. As Oscar has pointed out, there's certain conditions we can look at, you know, if they're in one of these special uh, phases or um, if they're circumpolar or if they're really like bright in magnitude, I tend to pay attention a little bit more because the brighter it is, the easier it is to see. Uh, the ones that have culminated, uh, culminated parents, those are the prime years. So basically from around 30 to 60, and then the ones that are setting are the, the stars of your latter years. So this is 60 plus. Most of us don't live past that. If you did, you'd, you'd actually enter like your full hearthstone stars. Um, but for the most part, the hearthstone stars are defining your life subtly throughout the entire life. Um, and that gives you just a basic breakdown. Some are gonna be way more emphasized than others, especially you have to look at that Hellenistic, you know, kind of two dimensional chart and say, if a star is like angular, and the planet is also angular in the chart, you'll probably see it a lot more clearly in your life. Um, versus say you have, uh, let's say something in like the 12th where it's not quite angular, it's already hidden to you and it's an apparent with a star. It might be a little bit more obscure to you. You might not actually feel its effects or really um, see how it's playing out in your life as clearly as say like one that's in the first or the 10th, right? Did I miss anything, Oscar? Um, no, that that's that exactly what I would say. And I like, yeah, that's an important point too, is like, you know, we have ex essential dignity. Like for example, like my Jupiter is my Almutin and it's also like in the 10th house angular in Scorpio and it's my benefic of sect. So that immediately would like make me look for my, if I had any Perons to Jupiter with stars. And, 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 and those are actually like really, for when I saw those, they were like 
yeah duh um so yeah sometimes like um the prawns you can see kind of how quiet the star's influence is by kind of using those kind of techniques as well yeah absolutely um yeah and like the helical rising star absolutely i always um it's kind of like the horizon people are kind of chasing throughout their life and like it's also the star that people will kind of like weave their philosophies around. Um, when I write my fixed star essays uh, that I've started doing in the last couple of weeks, like I mostly like choose people who have that certain star as a helical rising or setting because it's just so obvious. You know, it's like Sofia Coppola, uh, helical rising, Alresha is like, I make period piece films, but like with like, I don't know, like these uh, post-punk soundtracks, right? Like the Arisha thing of like tying the sacred knot, tying things together that like other people aren't tying together. You know, it's just like, you'll see that in a native's life, like really like play out really loudly. And it's something that they're always kind of like looking at the horizon at. And you know, the setting star, uh, the Halayako setting star is kind of like the, the other star of that conversation where it's just like, this is how we get there is that kind of vibe you know and i think they kind of play off each other and and the helical setting star it's said to come from uh, your daimon right i'm just starting medieval astrology studies but like yeah the spirit in the chart or just like um thinking that you know there's this thought that it comes from your soul um you know at the nativity you know it's like a gift you know they're both gifts um and so yeah it's kind of like if i lean into my capella helical rising Helical setting, it's like it's only gonna make my Oculus rising star like more fleshed out. It's it's like they're having this combo together. Mm-hmm. And I love that for you because I just like put that together. It always makes me think of the the tarot card, the chariot, because it is the chariot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. You when you act from your instincts in that kind of free way, you really see like effort and your poetry and stuff, and that just comes alive for you. And then I, I remember watching you. You were live tweeting about like entering a poetry contest. And you didn't like it the last minute, which I totally expect of Capilla. <laughs> and that, and then you ended yeah. up getting the fellowship with it. And it was, it was like, ta-da. Oh, yeah. It was just like last day. Like, I'm just gonna throw this out there and maybe I'll get it or maybe I won't. But that's such a Capilla thing to do is just be like, well, I better hop on this chariot yeah. before it leaves me. And you totally leaned into it. Yes, and I love, absolutely. I love watching that play out. I love that. It's especially interesting because I've done so many charts for people in our community to like watch them now tweeting and be like, oh, look at that star activation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's let's go back to talking a little bit about the specific stars. I wanna um, kind of run through the royal stars and just kind of throw out some like, why are they royal? I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit and then maybe Maybe talk about one or two other stars, maybe your favorite stars, um, and then we can kind of close out and talk about like how people would even go about learning about this. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about um, the royal stars again. Like, let's start with Regulus, the the royalist. <laughs> in my opinion, I mean that's kind of how I I seen it though. Like, yeah, that's how they considered it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Regulus, it's in the constellation Leo, correct? Yes. No longer. No it longer. Was. Okay. I mean, like, if we're defining it by what we consider to be Leo, which mm-hmm. is a zodiacal thing, no, it's actually just barely going into Virgo. But at the time, it was. No, it's it, it just in the, in the like actual constellation, though, not like the zodiac. Um, not like yeah, yeah. It would be considered part of the lion constellation. Yes, the lion constellation. Yes, thank you. Um, and it's what the heart of the lion or the head of the lion. It's the heart. 
Okay, the heart of the lion, which makes sense. The heart of the lion, being a royal star. The other stars in that constellation are Zosma and um, the back of the lion star, and then Adenabola, the tail of the lion. Mm, okay. And I think also through procession, the tail's kind of fallen off the lion. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it's yeah. cool. <laughs> I have Adenabola, Mars, Peron, so I feel like I know a lot. I think yeah. I have Zosma, Jupiter, I believe. Ooh, Mer- Angel of Mercy. That I don't know why that's like in my. That's, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's. So tell tell us a little bit about Regulus. Like, what makes it so? Like, how does it? How does it tend to show up in people's charts? And we can, you know, we have a very famous example of a Regulus person, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is uh, the current president of the United States, number forty-five, um, has Regulus conjunct his ascendant. Yeah, you know, we're talking about power, you know, we're talking about power and privilege and our relationship to that, you know, one of the most exciting people that I came across <laughs> this, um, they have their heliacal setting star Regulus as this South Korean rapper from BTS. Um, uh, and, you know, he, he released a song called Digita, which is kind of like the king's music and and it's a rap song and if you watch the music video it's really like him beheading himself and it's like all these like really trippy things about like being famous and his persona and this yeah his relationship to his king kingship and it's kind of like a song about patricide and i was just like this is so interesting that regulus is your helical setting star and your your title track from your new album is literally about like deconstructing what regality means and i was just like oh wow sugar's really doing this in the music and you know i and i I, i've also (laughs) plugged in donald trump's uh birth data into my starlight uh, against my will just because i was just like christ gotta see it you gotta see what's going on and so um i i i wouldn't i i wouldn't say that you know it's a in peron to his ascendant i would but does have it to i believe his son and mars and, and they're set off by timing. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, at this point, he would have had all his batch of stars kind of light up. And so, yeah, there's this regular Sun Mars thing. And, like, I, I remember, like, following the story of when he got sick and stuff. And I was just like, oh, like, what's going to happen? Because, you know, all of, one thing about the four royal stars is they kind of come with also, like, conditions, you know, of, of like or the downfall of, of, like, the gifts that they give. And I was just, I don't know, I'm still curious <laughs> because yeah. I'm just like, you're definitely not acting righteous, you know? Um, right. So when is that Regulus moment coming? I don't know. I've been thinking that for a long time, too. <laughs> when is that Regulus moment coming? Yeah, what are you going to say, Maya? It'll come at some point. It'll come at some <laughs> point. I think it's important to note that, like, royalty in the way that we conceive of it today is not how it was conceived of. Um, you used to have to go through trials to become a royal. And that's really what you have to think about with these royal stars is that they each have their own lessons and trials that the native has to go through. They're all held to a much higher uh, level of behavior. Um, Each one is very unique, but they all kind of cross over. So for Regulus, uh, you cannot act out of revenge. So I'm interested to see what happens because of how he's, the only way he's been able to attack Biden has been to go to Biden's son. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in a very hypocritical way, because all the things he's accusing Biden of doing for his son is stuff that he does for his family every day. Um, There's also a real thing, and I find this is very true for people who have very prominent um, 
regulus parents it, or even conjunctions is that people do not have the same amount of empathy for them as they do other people. So like someone who's got a really prominent regulus paran, they'll go and they'll post something on Twitter. Maybe they're just having a bad day and they just don't get the responses that they're wanting. In fact, they're more likely to get attacked hmm. than they are to get the support that they want. And so it's very important to know, like with especially like Regulus, you need to have a good inner circle that you can go to for this sort of stuff. Because going out into the public, you're already seen at a very, almost like pedestal level. Hmm. And which is so unfair, but that's just reality. Yeah. And you need to be aware of that pedestal pretty much at all times, because if you act against um, that nature, that star, it tends to have dire consequences. Dire being very subjective, right? Some people can't handle being criticized. And one of the things I always remember for Regulus in particular is like, if a king went around beheading every person who disagreed with him, he wouldn't have a kingdom. Yeah. He would have a riot which is kind of what's happening, yep. right? <laughs> um, wow. There's, there's a lot of rioting going on. Yeah. So like that's specific to Regulus is like, you cannot act from revenge. It will backfire. It'll backfire epically. And here's the thing. You'll either be famous or you'll be infamous. Mm -hmm. There's really no in between, no matter what you are in the spotlight. And that's a lot of pressure to have on a native, but it can also bring brilliance and success and lots and lots of like publicity Today, we don't really have royals. We have celebrities. And we literally have, uh, you know, the celebrity royalty sitting in our White House mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, unpacking what kingship is in, like, our century, right? Like, it, you know, that you can be famous in a room. And you can be famous, like, mm -hmm. as a celebrity. You know, there's different levels of, like, being well-known. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you just kind of have to... When someone comes to you as a client, you just have to be... Um, yeah, conscious of that and being like, okay, like when you step into the room, maybe like this is playing out. I, I, Regulus for me is tied to my node. So it becomes what we call a vocational star. Um, and so it's, yeah, <laughs> the whole like pressure. I mean, the people will feel that, that kind of pressure of like, I can't slip up in public because everyone's watching. And it was just like some, there's some self-conscious kind of like regular thing. I think that people mm -hmm. have sometimes yeah. of just like wanting to be your best, you know, and, and wanting yeah, to there's the best amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. my, pressure one of my yeah. best friends has a stellium conjunct. It's like her son's conjunct regulus. And then she has uh, Jupiter, Mercury and Venus all within like four degrees of that all in the 10th house. And uh, yeah, so much, so much pressure on herself all the time. But she does have that very like regal sort of glow to her. Like I, she feels so, um, yeah, I don't know. She feels very royal in that way. And she's just herself. Like she's not, you know, she's not royal. But um, yeah, there's, uh, she's one of my, you know, definitely my favorite regulus. She's my best friend. So uh, my favorite regulus person that I know. Um, let's talk a little bit about, let's see, we don't have a ton of time left, so I don't want to go through all the royals, but maybe, um, maybe Aldebaran, since we're having an eclipse conjunct Aldebaran uh, in a, less than a month. Yeah, I, I, it, it, when you brought up Aldebaran before, it like pinged in my brain. I was like, keep it, keep it, yeah. <laughs> Mercury, keep it, Mercury. Um, you know, one of the things that's written about Aldebaran is this phrase, like, all exchanges are sacred. Mm. And I think that's really beautiful, especially now, right? We're living in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of like uprisings that of course should be happening. Like it's high time, like something happens um, to this scale. And like, 
just thinking about like the word one of the words of of 2020 that has just been inescapable was like mutual aid yeah right and and like every if every exchange is sacred right like how can we tap into that and like if that's part of the eclipse that's coming up then like you know might just be prominent you know like uranus and taurus is already giving us this kind of like um you know complete like shifting around things where i think like what's radical is actually showing up you know i think that's the big uranus and taurus thing is like being like showing up and and like being in community and i think with Aldebaran, it's like, okay, how are we exchanging in ways that are ap- actively anti- antagonistic and against capitalist structures, you know? Like, what does care look like? Um, you know, strategies of care, networks of care that kind of, like, are not interested in, like, this kind of, like, neocolonial exchange of capital, right? And, like, how can we foster those things? And I think Aldebaran is definitely, you know, it was a star of commerce, but I think we can open it up and just see it as like, you know, this kind of exchanging also, you know, I that's my that. Aldebaran moment. <laughs> I love that so much. Thank it, you. Actually, that's so true too, because I was, I just wanted to confirm before I opened my mouth and put my foot in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Aldebaran was connected to the ancient god Mithra and he was a battle god. And he was very much about like, there is a specific rule of of battle and they were very particular about that you fought honorably or you did not fight at all Mm. and that's kind of where i think that idea of like being in communion with one another is an act of resistance because it is about righteous relationship Mm. and that's what this was about even if you were going to fight someone to this god you were going to fight with honor towards them and towards yourself and what we're seeing right now especially with the eclipse probably getting ready to conjoin it is like, was this truly honorable? Hmm. I think we all know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. It really is. It's it's really interesting. A very interesting star. We could go on forever about mm-hmm. it, honestly. But you know, there is that thing about like the the the, the fine print of the royal stars, and like for Aldebaran, it is like integrity and integrity. honesty mm-hmm. and and bending your principles. You know, Aldebaran will not be happy if you're bending your principles, like doing all kind of shady things, like loopholes, like it wants you to stand in integrity and honor and it's a huge part of that star Mm. Mm -hmm. yes and it's the hardest lesson because i find people who have these stars they learn the hard way we (laughs) all learn the hard way but they especially learn hard because it's so public each of these stars again it comes back to you're going to be famous or you're going to be infamous yeah and you know you learn the hard way because maybe you thought you could just tell a white lie and it blows up epically (laughs) in your face and it's like no these are people especially with that mercury parent they will be blunt, but they're going to be very honest with you. You can trust them for what they're about to tell you. And um, I actually have quite a few friends who have that parent, which is wonderful. And also like for my little cancer moon heart, I'm like, you're killing me. (laughs) Please be nicer. But they're like, no, this is the blunt truth. And they end up becoming trusted for that. That's what ends up being their calling card if they lean into it. If they don't, they become infamous can't, for can't just help, never telling the truth. Can't help but think yeah. about our our friend Zach who has um, his. I love him. <laughs> Zach Powell um, has his um, his Mars conjunct Aldebaran in the first house, and yes, everything you just said uh, spoke to that. But I want to quickly talk about Altair because we have the Saturn Jupiter conjunction happening. Um, December 21st um, at zero uh, Aquarius 
Um, Altair is really close by at one, I think it's at 142 Aquarius, if I'm if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about Altair since we, that's kind of been, it's been on my mind. That's where Saturn stationed earlier this year. Um, and I've been watching it in the sky, like Saturn, Jupiter, and you look up a little bit and you can see Altair. Um, so yeah, do you guys have thoughts about Altair as the star and then perhaps maybe with this great conjunction happening on it might, might be about? I mean, it's kind of, like, associated... It's got all these, like, militaristic associations sometimes in certain texts. Like, it's the eagle. Um, you know, I, I'm going to step into a moon Altair Paran as soon as my Saturn return starts in a couple weeks. So I'll know a lot more about it in the next three years. <laughs> but, you know, kind of, like, already, like, having to kind of embrace, like, um, a bold, daring attitude and kind of, like... You know, the 12th house sun makes me want to, like, be shy and, and kind of, like... But I've been constantly, you know, being being put in front of, like, you're here. Like, step mm-hmm. up to the mic, step up to the... And, like, being very daring to be seen. So, I I don't know. It is a star about courage, I think. And so, you know, if we're thinking about this conjunction, like, we're going to definitely need courage. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever, you know, however the election goes, you know, I think you know whoever wins we have a lot of work to do and we have a lot of like you know one thing that people keep saying is like staying with the good trouble right like Mm -hmm. the donna haraway quote uh or or just like things i'm seeing on social media of people being like okay like you know the people always rise you know and that takes a lot of like courage and, and, and and like gusto right and we have to do it you know yeah, I know it's in um, the constellation, is it called Aquila? Aquila, yeah. Aquila, mm-hmm. um, which is an eagle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maya, your thoughts about it? So it's actually one of my Hearthstone stars, mm. and my son has conjoined it to almost the exact minute Ooh. as well. So we have Saturn so, Sun conjunction then. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's going to be so, so fun. Um, <laughs> You know, I would say that, yes, boldness is a big, big theme there. Um, Knowing what your values are very important here because, you know, it can become very dogmatic. It is a battle star. The eagle was associated with battle because it was considered to be, and it still is, it's an apex predator. And so, um, you know, my my personal worry is um, on a very broad scale that that is the, the, the herald for war right? Especially dogmatic war. And that's what we're seeing right now is that the country in America is, is split in half. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's more polarized than it's been in a very, very long time, probably since the civil rights movement first began. And um, seeing both Jupiter and Saturn there is kind of like, plus on top of it, <laughs> having to worry about the eclipse right before. Was this really an equitable, um, you know, election followed by this conjunction it does make me wonder, you know, what that's going to mean militaristically for us because it is a battle star and it wants a fight. Mm-hmm. I, I know that personally. Again, I have a lot of battle stars in my uh, my parents as well as like in my normal Hellenistic chart. And um, if I don't have a mission to go after, it just runs havoc with my life. And I believe it's the same when it comes to like the mundane stuff is like if you don't give certain stars a very specific aim, they need to do what they do. That's their nature. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do it one way or another. So that would be my only worry but on on the flip side i do agree with oscar like the resistance that can happen here it's a very stubborn star like one of the most i actually am a very shy person i just went through through a bunch of theatrical training as a kid but i like being alone i spend a lot of time by myself i'm very quiet at home 
and my son rules my midheaven. And so when I'm in public, I can seem like I'm a very alive person, right? But in, in private, I'm a very docile, quiet, laid back kind of person. And I think that the, the fixed star Altair has a lot more to do with it than actually having a midheaven in Leo, because it wouldn't matter if my son was further along in Aquarius. Um, and I think having that boldness is gonna be key. Um, hopefully with it being about like Saturn and Jupiter, Jupiter is about um, fellowship and Saturn is about structure. And I hope that that brings about some really good resistance movements where people are trying to come together as a community um, and hopefully a few really good leaders that are, that's the other thing, it's very original. It wants to do what it wants to do. And regardless of whether or not it's popular or normal or has ever been done before, it's gonna boldly go where no one's gone before. And again, that can both be a good and a bad thing depending on what happens. So I think it'll be an interesting time for us all, but I hope that we can all take hope and say, where are we going to put that energy in our own lives? Because we can worry about the mundane. I'm very, I have a third house stellium, so I'm very much about like, what can we do with this? And I'm like, okay, I can't really affect if we have a corrupt political election. I can go do my part and you know vote and hopefully get the word out, but that's it. If it's corrupt, it's corrupt. What I can do is I can gather together with my family and my friends and my community and make sure that we're taking care of one another, that we're not letting, you know, fascist bullshit happen around us. And we are doing our part to resist it. And also know that loving and being together with one another is resistance. It is bold. It's an act to say, a, a huge act, even to find people who are on other sides of the aisle and finding ways of connecting with them. Because right now that schism is actually what's driving this country into possible you know, civil war. If it keeps going down this road, that's that's almost inevitable in my opinion. So if we can all just find ways, like how do we reach across the aisle? How do we actually find ways of working together that are radical, that are radical? It is radical to put aside your differences and try to figure out how to get along. Hell yeah, hell yeah. As we record so that would this, be my hope. yeah, um, it's a nice... I definitely feel Altair in the room. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, Amaya's really, like, channeling that part. Um, and I'm inspired, because, like, Altair to Moon, it's, like, also, like, I'm going to be looking for, like, bravery in other people and, like, getting excited about it and making it part of my lunar stuff. And I, I don't know. It's just great. I'm feeling it. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, with that, let's um, start to close out. I So, you, we mentioned a couple books, and I'm going to link all of them down below i've got a list okay good thank you i will be emailing <laughs> you about that list um but what's like the best route to go about learning if people listening want to learn more about fixed stars and, and parents brady you brady. have to get her lectures yeah okay i mean like her books are really cool but i don't feel like you can learn parents really without having her lectures and seeing it it is very visual yeah. wouldn't you say oscar yes i i agree like I, the way I think about her published books are that they're supplementary to the lecture. And, and she says that herself. Mm -hmm. And, like, really, like, you need Starlight software um, at, at a, some, a certain point, maybe, just because then you'll start to really see the visuals of it. And the lectures do do that. And, you know, if anybody wants to start dipping their toes, astro.com is actually a free way to pull up parans. Mm. You go into uh, the special menu tab 
and it's under Brady Perans. It's like the first one. Yes. Um, and, and 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 so yeah, everyone can pull up their Perans uh, immediately. I'm like switching between both pronunciations because they're both fun. Um, <laughs> and, and so yeah, people can automatically you know do that step on Astro.com and get that list. And now we've talked a little bit, you know, kind of scratching the surface of like what that list classifications kind of mean, you know, on the surface, but. Yeah, that's already a place to start, you know, learning, just seeing those star names, I think, does so much at at the beginning. It'll make you excited. It'll make you be like, wow, there's more here, you know? Awesome. And it may explain things that you've never been able to explain before. Yeah. And I think that's like the most, like for me, it was very surprising, like to see actually most of the conjunctions in my chart end up being parents as well. And that was like really rewarding. Whereas some people you're going to find like, you know, I see the star conjunction, but it doesn't really speak to me. And then you find out it's not in your parents. So it's probably not going to. A conjunction will only be as strong as the technical aptitude behind it. Mm. So um, I think it's a really valuable start. Definitely go to astro.com. And then if you want to get deep, get her class. If you just want general, dele- like simple delineations, honestly, your best money spent is on star and planet combinations. Cool. Um, the other one yeah i think this has the better delineations in it whereas like brady's book of fixed stars is way more technical and i've had a hard time with it i want to get the other one (laughs) um this this will actually give you your like delineations like basic delineation she also gives you examples you can study which i think is very valuable so every delineation has like a person like we could go to fossies and go to parent with the sun we have nostradamus Hmm. had fossies and a parent with the sun you know like so it gives you people you can study. Yeah. And that's also part of like these essays that I'm writing over at my coffee account is like, I, I felt like the star and planet combination book was amazing. And it, in this, in the sense that it gives you one person, which each uh, planet star Peron combination. But I was just like, hmm, Sag made heaven, Sag stuff. And, and so, yeah, I collect example charts all the time. And you'll see in the essay, we talk about like four or five people examples who have a relationship to that star and it's about because i think once you see that star and kind of like out in the world and actually like living and breathing amongst people um you, it also helps like that delineation become um just more fleshed out and so that's kind of what i'm interested in, is like maybe these like broad stroke themes of the stars but like just giving more examples of like hey look at this person look at that person look at this person doing it this way that way man i'm gonna have to go and like sign up for that now <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're also free to read you know just like you know, I wanted oh, to make no. it accessible. You need to be paid. You mm-hmm. need to be paid for your work. Don't be silly. So <laughs> let's um, thank you both so 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 much for nerding out together and letting me letting me <laughs> witness your fixed stars nerd out. It's been truly like a pleasure. Um, tell the people where they can find you, Amaya. Um, I am Feral Vinifica <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I don't always talk about astrology because I feel like some of us are a little too obsessed with it, but you'll find lots of like nature pictures and sometimes I do threads on the stars. And then um, heartwarriorpath.com if you want to get a reading. Awesome. And ask her. Yeah, um, on Twitter, um, Cielo Suelo Astro. And so Cielo just means sky, heavens in Spanish. So C I E L O. And then Suelo means ground. So S U E L O. And then Astro. And then my website, if you want to get a reading, um, it's uh, cielosueloastrology.com, and you can find me there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And we will link below. Um, thank you so much. This Thank is, you. This is so great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for having us, Kira.
Wow, right? <laughs> so much, so much information. Um, I'm definitely going to have to listen to this episode a couple more times to to like, you know, let it all soak in. But I'm so grateful for Amaya and Oscar coming on and talking to us, talking to me and us, I guess all of us about, um, about fixed stars and parents and all of the, like, it's such a, it's such a great tool. Um, Irina Tudor actually brought this up. Um, but it's such a great tool for folks who don't have an accurate birth time even, um, because we can look at the stars and the star lore and all the mythology around them for, such a really deep perspective and well-rounded perspective on the native that has nothing to do with the planets um or sorry well has nothing to do with like the exact positioning of the planets is what i meant to say um yeah it's i mean in some cases it doesn't have anything to do with the planets right it's like what star was rising at the time you were born when was what was setting what was culminating um there's so much to know and to learn and um yeah it's it's such a this is the beginning like the stars were the beginning and um yeah i hope you guys got a lot out of it um and yeah i'm just gonna leave you with that i can't wait to talk to you again next week we have a really exciting special um episode that i'm going to keep a secret for now um but i guess as a little hint it's it's an it's an episode i had six wonderful friends join me and we're we're talking all about a special uh group a special group of people um so yeah and then check out fresh voices um and thank you for everyone who's tuned in and everyone who's been you know writing reviews i read them i really deeply appreciate it um, although everyone who's been rating us five stars and sharing on social and just like letting me know your thoughts about the podcast and the episodes, I super, super, super appreciate it. Um, and I hope you, I hope everyone out there is doing all right. We have, um, you know, a weird, a weird couple of weeks ahead of us, but <laughs> we're almost through 2020. So yeah, sit with that um, and have a great rest of your day. Bye.